Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real-life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have another episode in our Growth Through Acquisition series. And today we are looking particularly at strategic considerations in Growth Through Acquisition. In order to talk about this meaty topic, we have on board Richard Osman from Provantage Advising, who advises and prepares companies for strategic growth by researching and validating growth and expansion plans and providing executive coaching for company professionals. So Richard deals with organisations both here in Australia and in the US. So today we have a really good uh, cross-section, I guess, of talking about elements that are relevant here in Australia, but also across the seas in the US as well, and and that generally are relevant no matter what the jurisdiction. So buckle in, here we go for our discussion with Richard Osman, all about the strategic considerations in growth through acquisition. All right, Richard, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on board to the Deal Room podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I really look forward to, uh, to our time together. I I am looking forward to it. So, Richard, maybe we can kick it off um, by you giving us a really quick background of who you are and how you, uh, I guess, your background of coming into this topic, talking about this area today. So, um, okay, so working with businesses that um, are growing, um, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, I've been working with them since 1999. Um, This is a second career for me, so I'm on my 21st year. Um, I'm obviously from the States and I've spent, um, uh, and I've still like, obviously. Business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's nice in Australia cause I stick out because of the accent. Yeah. Very, um, very no, and, no, that's right. And, um, I still have clients back in the States and I continue to, you know, to, to work there with communication technology. It's truly a global business. And I've been in Australia seven years. Um, I think over these 20 years, I don't know how many businesses I've worked with, um, but it's been in the hun- multiple hundreds. I do have a doctorate, and so I approach this. Um, the biggest thing I got from from a doctorate was how to go from a novice to an expert in any particular topic, and I use that research when I'm working with my clients, and I think that's probably my point of difference. And, and what was your doctorate in, by the way? Well, it was in higher education, mm-hmm. um, but, but research is research. And um, there's human and technical researchers, financial um, as well. And I just apply those tools to, uh, to my work. Yeah. Okay. And, and so then the background of the way that you work with your clients is, is helping them in finding ways to support strategic growth. Yeah. So we have three, what I call three legs to the stool of, of business. We have an online business academy, which are just the nuts and bolts of business. And it's, it's quite a robust and so that's a ProVantageBusinessAcademy.com. And then we do advising for businesses that, that already know how to uh, you know, operate on, on, on the basics but are facing strategic growth. 
Mm. And and that's very custom. Um, and so that's um, ProVantage-StrategicGrowth.com. And, and, um, and that includes, you know, pretty comprehensive advising. Um, and then the last leg on the stool is a lot of companies come to us because they want to raise capital. Mm. Um, and, and oftentimes after we're done with our strategic advising, they find they can invest organically through smart cash flow, mm. uh, which means they don't need outside money when that's the cheapest money they're going to get is their own. Mm. Um, and so that's that's kind of our, you know, the work cover. Yeah, okay, all right. And so, of course, today we're talking about um, the general area of, of acquisition for growth mm-hmm. um, for organisations. And, of course, that that um, is part of the growth strategy for many organisations for very good You know what, it, it, it can be a really fast way to grow because you're, you're not developing another business, right? You're taking one that's already um, developed. And if you're in a related or similar field, you're taking a competitor out of, of the market. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, you know, is smart to look at. But I think there are three key areas to really look at. And, and I'll just list them if that's okay. Please list away, list okay. away. Rich. I'm here and listening. I'm interested. Okay. So look, the first one's valuations. What yeah. is this worth? And everybody knows that, right? But you need to get below the numbers. And what does that mean, getting below the numbers? So we often have clients come to us and say, look, I want to acquire a company that has $2 in in annual turnover, Mm -hmm. as an example. Okay, how much should I pay for it? Well, that's like asking how long is a piece of string. Yeah. And and so, so let's go into that. So it's not uncommon, I'll put it like that, that a company, let's say it's a $2 million company, doesn't really have a lot of systems in place. Mm. It's driven by the 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 company owner, the principal. You know, it can be uh, and the relationships that he's had, and his motivation, and his energy, and his drive. So let me just kind of go through valuation. So that's that's the first thing that I think you, you need to look at is how dependent is this that you know the revenue on any one person versus company systems because company yeah. systems will continue but the company principal won't yeah okay yeah the other thing is what has been the business strategy in some sectors you can grow organically with really no growth strategy and hit two million in annual annual revenue mm. well so what happens after you buy it because that's a future you see so you need to look at it now th- these are just things to think about right the other thing is that if if the principal throws out something, so it's a two million dollar business, and and he thinks it's worth you know three million, four million, five million, pick a number. Everybody who owns a business has a bias toward that business. It's called principal bias. And <laughs> yes, that, we hear about it a lot here on the podcast, and we see it a lot. Absolutely, that's exactly. That, so there's a term for it, and that's why you need to get into what's going on in the business. How did they get here? And where will they go from here if the principal and honestly some of the key players aren't aren't around? Because that's not unusual when a company is acquired, is that key people, whether it's an allegiance to the, you know, the principal or those who owned it, personal connection, maybe just difference in personalities or whatever, that sometimes key people go, you know what, I think I'll work somewhere else now. 
because that was a motivation then for them, you know, to be involved. So you want to have an independent verification of values and, and you want to look at not just the, the revenue, but you want to look at the, at the net profit. And you really want to look at the operational budget and see where to look at expenses that, and, and items that may not be a part of the, the company once you acquire it. Because one of the reasons to acquire a company like a competitor is you can consolidate overhead and into one central function. So you can sometimes find that the valuations, when you talk about multiple acquisitions, um, that you the company is actually worth more because you're cutting overhead because you're combining all his overhead expenses. Let me give you a quick story. There's a guy in the States that I know, and he, um, he was retiring from a manufacturing business. And he knew that insurance was one of these stable, um, stable industries. And he took his payout. He was an executive. Mm. He took his payout. And what he started doing, he lived in a small town in, in Virginia. And he was buying up a lot of small, independent mom and dad or husband and wife insurance companies because they were all, you know, the husband was usually the salesman. The wife was usually the office manager slash bookkeeper. Mm. And he bought all these but They had a brand because it was the John Brown insurance agency, the Mary Smith insurance agency, everything else. So he acquired 16 of these independent insurance agencies. What he did was because he was an executive, he consolidated all around the town he lived in. He consolidated all the back end function mm. because, because the person who owned it, that was on the sales side, he didn't like doing usually as a guy, but mm. they, there were a few women. Um, didn't like to do the admin function anyhow. So they didn't do it very well. Mm. And, and so, and in essence, he cut half of the overhead out of these small businesses and being bigger, he could also, you know, spread the marketing and everything else over 16. And mm. that's kind of a way that he grew a multi-million dollar insurance agency by, you know, acquiring 16 and he'd never been in insurance before. I love it. So I really love that as an example because um, quite often here what we actually see is uh, that, that you have aggregators or businesses that are out acquiring multiple other businesses who are coming from a perspective of quite a strong financial base already. So already being fairly large organisations or experienced and, and, and entering into multiple acquisitions. But I, I love the stories of um, of where um, a small business has been able to achieve massive growth by going around and acquiring small businesses because it, it's something that I think small businesses it is achievable for small businesses if they've got oh, yeah. the right plan and and it's not necessarily high risk if they just start with a little one and then work out how that works and then add another little one you know so so it's a little bit different to the general concept of acquisition for growth which is that um, you have a large organization that knows what it's doing in, in this instance it's a fabulous example of a small or micro business taking the concept of acquisitions to build them all together and then create something you know of massive value at the end well your point's well taken because he didn't buy all 16 at once that, mm, that's a mistake yeah. right so he bought a couple consolidated that was throwing off extra cash now that funded the next purchase 
funded the next purchase and so on. He is very smart about it. But like I said, he was an executive in, a, you know, in an industry and, and mm. um, took early retirement, but didn't want to retire. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, I, I love that because, you know, certainly we, uh, we're working with a number of buyers at the moment that, that more of the buyer perspective that you're talking about here that had started small and then have just sort of slowly dipped their toe in, bought one or two, realised that it was a really good strategy, bought a few more and, you know, are just really kicking some amazing goals here That's right. now. And, and That's I just right. think this is a, you know, it's a really, it's a perspective that many small businesses have just not thought about and, and so right. I, I just love your example here um brilliant okay so moving on so we've had a look at the idea of valuations and really understanding the picture behind the numbers and and if we're going to talk about the concept of valuations then in relation to your example of the insurance uh aggregator we'll call him um he he obviously was able to go in and look at the businesses and find a way that he could rip costs out and therefore create, uh, uh, I guess, an exponential increase in the value of the businesses in comparison to the amount that he was paying. So I guess that's where that reflects back on that valuation discussion we're having. Are there, are there any other elements, I guess, that he applied from that valuation perspective? Well, well, right, right. So to keep the personal brand in the business, right, so if it was the John Brown Insurance Agency, um, that he, you know, that the principal stayed on as an employee now of this uh, of this company that acquired him. Mm -hmm. And then there was a transition plan because people were buying from John Brown, you know, for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it had been. And it was important for, you know, for that, that, it, that you know, that the individual brands remained and then over time these people wanted to retire they wanted to do some you know things and so it was a you know it was a transition over years but by that time mm. you know he had gradually inserted a different brand i won't tell you the name of the agency um you know but over time then so it was a smooth transition to to a different brand I just and what you're saying here, I just want to highlight because I think this is absolutely critical. The approach of slow and steady, so yep. acquiring and then slowly over time changing systems, slowly over time changing brands, because that's one of the the mistakes that I see and certainly hear about quite a lot um, is buyers coming in and just you know having their own way of doing things but implementing it too quickly and creating issues creating issues for clients for staff you know change is a hard thing isn't it you know it is and buyers often just have so much energy for the vision that they have for the future but the point we're talking about here is hold yourself back <laughs> be a little bit more measured take time to implement changes well i think that's the point is to really have a strategic plan yeah yeah. And and not just do it, you know, ad hoc, uh, you know, being opportunistic. That's okay. And sometimes they're one-offs. But if you really want to do the smart, to really have a well-thought-out strategic plan. Yep, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, all right. So after valuations, where do we move on to next? Well, the other thing is a risk management strategy. Because when you, you've already talked about when you make change, change can be difficult, change can be hard. And this feeds a little bit into future values. Mm. but. But you have to ask yourself, what can go wrong and how can it go wrong? Obviously, changes are going to happen when you acquire a business. And there are new tax numbers and there may, and if you're consolidating overhead, there, 
you know, there are new people involved and people are reporting to new people, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you have to ask yourself that. So that's what can go wrong in the change. Mm. Okay. Which can be an endless list. <laughs> but I guess part, part of what we're reflecting on here is, uh, and maybe, maybe it's even stepping back one step prior to that and saying, well, what is the real asset that I'm purchasing? And then what's the risk of that in transfer, you know? And what can go wrong that could impact that the value of that asset moving forward? I guess that's what we're talking about. Well, you're just not purchasing an asset in present time. You're purchasing an asset for something in the future as well. Mm, mm, mm. And, and and that's the risk management. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so what are the things that you consider? Or what are some of the things that you've seen that um that, that have gone wrong or that you think you know with particular key focus areas from your experience? Well, okay. So I think one of the common thing if if there's an acquisition that's outside of a geography or even a industry, it might be a related industry, is how much do you really know what's going on with that business? Yeah. Okay. So as an example, um, um, going back to the first example, all these small independent agencies that my friend acquired were probably within a 30 mile radius of the town he lived in. Right. Because that's where he lived all his year, all his life. He knew, you know, and he was an executive at this you know, manufacturing plant that was the biggest employer in the county and surrounding counties. So he knew everybody and everything. And, and, and that was his way of doing it. But, but if you're, you know, in Sydney and you're buying somewhere and, you know, um, you want to expand down to Melbourne and you're looking at a acquisition, we well, still want to know things like competitors. Mm. Who are they down there? We've already talked about principal risk. Um, uh, you know, so these are all things to to look at, um, but especially a competitor. And and there's also market risk. And some market risks you just can't. Uh, I mean, with the coronavirus in January, who would have thought, you know, cafes would be shut down for three months if you wanted. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you wanted. So you, you can't cover all the risks, but you want to identify what you need to know that you don't know right now. Mm. And this is where folks like you or folks like me are real helpful because we've done this, you know, quite a few times and, and even just the legal, you know, as, as, and, and the laws between the two different states vary too. Mm. And, and so you want to make sure that if you're going to invest your money or anybody else's, that you really know the, you know, all the risks that, you know, legal risk, market risk, competitor risk, you know, all, all, all these kind of things, technical risk. Um, and, and maybe there aren't competitors right now, but they might be coming into the field and you mm. want to be able to see that as well. And so, of course, this is where um, our fabulous due diligence comes in. But Absolutely. but I guess what we're talking about here is, you know, due diligence is broader than just looking into where the organisation is right at the moment. Um, right. So, and, and obviously, you know, the importance of due diligence is saying, okay, well, what do the financials look like now and do, do they look 
like we're being told? Uh, you know, do they look solid? Um, are there gaps? And when we're looking at the legal due diligence, we're looking at are there legal risks sitting within the structure of the organisation or the documents within the organisation, the relationships within the organisation, the employees and all of those sorts of things. But what we're also talking about here is assessing it in a broader perspective. So make sure you're doing your research on the market as well and some of these more external influences rather than just those that are internal to the organization. That's right. And you mentioned something too about your work and and to make sure that the contracts, um, you know, we see this a lot with people that, that acquire and don't have an attorney like you that, that are working. And there can be, you know, gaps in the contracts and there can be, you know, reward, yeah. you know, there can be misunderstandings or just whatever. And that's why, you know, I want to put it back on you saying, you know, people need to really be working with somebody like you yeah, because, yeah. It, it, you know, it's not just two friends. And where we see it the most is, you know, two people know each other, their mates or friends, whatever you want to call it. And one wants to sell, the other one's willing to buy. And there's this misunderstanding. I'm not going to say it's misrepresentation, but there was that, you know, and you just got to take it out of that and, and go from there. The other thing though, that I want to talk about is this, and the, the risk is for the business that's acquiring the other business, what is their capacity to manage, you know, division or this extra um, um, asset? Mm. Because it takes, it will take resources more than money and it takes time, effort, attention, and all that kind of stuff. And people look at the blue sky going, oh my God, we can have another 2 million you know, valuation to our own company by doing this, but who's going to do it? And who's going to execute mm -hmm. on it and how, how good are they? And if it's at a different location, which most of them are, how are you going to deal with that? And how are you going to deal with the mm -hmm. human relations issues and, you know, oversight and supervision, management, leadership, all those kind of things. So I guess what you're saying here is like get real about what the future actually looks like from a practical perspective Absolutely. as well. So let's not just limit it to numbers on a piece of paper. Well, who writes them on a piece of paper anymore? Um, I right. guess numbers on a spreadsheet. <laughs> It's also about, you know, like practically how's this going to work from a time and energy perspective, you know, for the investors. You know, look, I've seen I've seen this happen, not really frequently, but it's it's been quite devastating because what happens is that the business that's acquiring doesn't lose one business. They could lose two businesses because they're neglecting their current business, trying to acquire this and, and both can fall down uh, on, on their ankles. Yeah, so let's talk, talk about that because, um, you, you know, there's many oft-quoted statistics out there that talk about the number or the high percentage of acquisitions that uh, aren't considered at the end of the day a success, in inverted commas, and I say in inverted commas because I, I think quite often there's a lack of clear definition about what a success in an acquisition right. means. But so, so let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, that's the worst case scenario that an acquisition by one organization ends up in, um, in bringing both of them down. And, and I, I was actually talking to uh, a couple of days ago to someone who worked on the M&A team for a very large listed company. And we were just talking about these as, um, as general issues in the M&A environment. And he was talking about the, 
the uh, organization he worked for, having gone through a process, I think he said of, you know, they had about 30 acquisitions in total and they'd gone and, and they had a, a real um, mandate for acquisition to create this, um, a, an aggregated model across a number of industries. And then five years later, they started divesting of all of these businesses, you know, and the share price had just, you, you know, as they were going up, you, you know, and, and this is one thing for acquisitions, it can look really active, you know, and investors like that, whether or not it's, right. it's a listed entity and you're talking about um, shareholders um, of a public company, you're talking about investors of a small organisation. The blue sky of that concept of acquisition, that activity looks really, or can look really good. But then the reality when you get to integration and are they actually performing well That's together? Right in you know in an exponentially increased way in this particular organization led them to divest almost everything that they'd acquired and so of course that is a, a very expensive process <laughs> very very expensive and that's a um that's a very large example i guess of what we're talking about here in a smaller context which is but it's the same principle. You, yeah, same principle. So do, do you have any examples that um, sort of spring to mind to you of, of, of an acquisition that's actually had the reverse impact of tearing both organisations down? That, that is what both organisations down, yes. So a number of years ago, I worked with a company um, that was doing acquisition of smaller, they were in the civil construction, and, and they were there are a lot of, you know, small you know, tier three or even below. And and they were just acquiring a bunch of tier three. And the, the issue was culture, that the mm. company acquiring was a, was a bigger a civil construction and they were trying to build themselves up to the size of a tier one. And, mm. and they were very, you know, business-minded and, and, you know, financially driven and all these kind of things. We smaller companies were like, you know, smart guys, but it's like, they just, they, they didn't want the corporate world. I mean, they didn't want the bigger world. That's why they were working with these smaller, you know, in a, in a smaller company or they had a smaller company. And, um, um, it just wasn't, it is like you're saying, you know, it just wasn't working out, you know, key people left, um, you know, mm. you know, and these, and that's why what you do is important is because on an acquisition, you want to have non-compete clauses for a number of years. You want to have non, yeah, yeah. you know, the disclosure clauses and these kind of things. So, mm. but now sometimes, once in a while, you may want to, so someone may want to acquire a company, not for the company, but for their customer base or their asset or something. If, if it's an undervalued customer base or whatever, or they've been trying to get in, or it, it leverages, it's in a related field and they want to cross sell to greater so yeah, that's yep. it exactly, and that's certainly you know a re a really good reason to use absolutely, Ab absolutely. So it becomes a strategic asset, and you can just let that company run like it's going to, and then because you're not buying it for the operations, you're buying it for something else, and and so. Um, whether it's our customer base or it leverages your existing brand too. So, of course, that's that's another good reason to do it. Mm, absolutely. Okay, great. All right. So, we've looked at valuations. We've looked at risk management. And, of course, risk management, as we said, is one of those areas, of course, where both of our industries, legal and strategic advice, you know, are absolutely critical in helping to identify the risks 
and how to manage them because uh, it's not just about identifying them, right? It's about how to yeah, mitigate, you know, how, how, to, how to mitigate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the last thing like we talked about was leverage is how do you yeah. leverage. So as an example, if you know, some businesses have lots of cash flow, not a lot of expenses and, you know, or you may have great cash flow um, and you can leverage it. Like I said, a common customer base where you can cross sell or upsell um, to a, you know, to a greater customer base that, or, that already is doing business with your acquisition. If they have technology that you can leverage in your own business, mm. um, you know, and uh, I don't mean social media or computers, desktops and phone lines and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that, but if they have proprietary technology, let me give you an example of a, um, a maintenance company and they had to, they used Salesforce as their backbone, but they had spent a few hundred thousand to modify Salesforce for their maintenance um, customers. There were large corporates and, and um, you know, apartment um, condominiums and stuff like that. So they could know, um, you know, so they had, you know, hundreds or even thousands of jobs a day. Mm. And so they could monitor every aspect of, of the work that goes on. And they could also make accurate, you know, proposals and quotes for service and all this kind of stuff. Anyhow, that technology was portable to any type of service business mm. and you know it was worth several millions of dollars and they were acquired not because of the maintenance business it was significant business they probably had i don't know when i knew them but 11 and a half million in, in service but they had invested in this management system and that was the reason they were acquired and mm. And the, the principal was one of these guys that loves to grow things, but then he gets bored with it and he wants to go on to the next conquest. So he was happy. He didn't want to run $11.5 million business. He wanted to go back and do another startup. And some people mm. are just like that. That's why they bought what they bought was they wanted that, that developed application. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, which is another that. great reason for acquisitions. Exactly, absolutely. Um, okay, and so then how is it that you generally work with businesses through this process then? I mean, do as businesses come in, is it one of those things where you sit there and you sort of identify that maybe they have they have a gap that acquisitions could fill or what's, what's the process you, you usually run through? Okay, um, we're not usually leading the client when when it comes to that. So how how typically it'll happen? I've I've got one M and A client right now in in the U.S. and they needed to develop a strategic plan for this, and so um, um, so I don't I don't typically recommend it, but I um, but but the client we we talk about the issues and and why they're wanting to do what they are, obviously what their objectives are. Um, and then we just start the research into it, um, and we use their data and their information. It's very collaborative because they know mm. their industry. We don't know it like they do, um, and we use their mm. data, and we help them create a lot of financial models for it, um, operational models for it. Um, we look for the risks, and we create a you know five- to ten-year plan, and, and, and the process at a minimum takes six months. Uh, because anything, you know, you really have to, as we're just talking about, there's a lot of deep things to, to kind of think through. And I've got to get 
got to know and and their credentials as business owners really is secondary. I've really got to get to know the capacity of not only their goals and objectives, but what are their capacities as you know as professionals in their business. Um, you know what are the resources that these are going to take and everything else, and we just really have a very collaborative process. And at the end of it, then, you know, we have a, we have a, um, a plan that they, you know, makes more sense to them that has deeper information, operational human resources, market information, financial information that they've had. Um, and the thing with plans, of course, is they have to be revised as you go forward. There's not nothing yeah. etched in yeah. stone. And that's what we saw with coronavirus, you know, and, and it, it's really interesting because there's a couple companies in the States that I'm, that I'm working with right now that um, they say that about 10 to 15% of the businesses that closed during coronavirus aren't going to reopen. Yeah. Wow. Which is really significant, right? And that's huge. Is that massive. across? Uh, I mean, uh, presumably there's specific industries that are most impacted, but uh, but is that a, a broad stretch across multiple industries, or is that, it really- yeah, that's just generally across the board? Yeah. And and so there's two companies that are strong in their industry, and they're seeing this as an opportunity. And, you know, you can look at it two ways. Well, these guys are taking advantage of the situation, maybe, uh, no no doubt. But they're also giving an opportunity to businesses that wouldn't reopen anyhow. Well, that's exactly right, isn't it? And, you know, we've, we've had some tough conversations um, over the past few weeks with clients who are making that decision at the moment. You know, is it a do I have the energy, you know? Um, and, Just tired and, of fighting, that's right. Well, that's it. And, and you, you know what, they don't necessarily label it in that way, but it certainly causes a lot of people to stop um, and reflect. And for some organisations, it will require a lot of energy. Um, and so, you, you know, um, so the, the, if they want an out and they don't want to do it, then they're benefited by someone who is coming around and saying, you know, I do have the energy and um, we can see how we can pick this up and make it work. So, yep. you know, I, absolutely. I mean, and there's got to be two sides of the equation so that those who don't want to do the build-up again have a way of selling out rather than just closing up and walking out. You that's know, exactly right. Because I guess that's the alternative, isn't it? Yep. So, and I mean, you're absolutely right. And this is um, one of the things that I'm really interested in thinking about at the moment It is, you know, what what does that landscape look like? Um, and I'm not sure, I don't know much about the US in terms of uh, stimulus that has happened for businesses here, but of course Nothing here in like Australia. Australia. Nothing like yeah, Australia. Right. Is that right? Okay, yeah. that's interesting. And, yeah. so, and, and so the big question, of course, here in Australia is what happens you know, at the end of September, at the beginning of October or, or the roll on, you know, November close afterwards. But um, but in the US, I guess this is starting to show through right now. Is that right? They're not in the uh, hibernation that the Australian business zone is, um, is sort of... You know, it, it varies um, uh, from state to state. Some states early on just, um, just shut down. California was one of them and, and Washington. Mm. Um, others continued to, you know, to operate, but it has affected you know, the whole economy, you know, just, you know, just nationally, but there hasn't been the government support. There's been a lot of state support, um, right. but they're, right, but they're limited, you know, by their own, 
borrowing powers and, you know, legally and, and, and everything else. So, so again, we'll just see what happens. But I think, but the reason I bring that up is because what a business was worth last year at this time may not be what the business is worth now. Of course, absolutely. So this goes back to valuations. And, you know, I, I just see it as, you know, companies that can do it smart. And, and now you know the risk, but you don't know how long this risk is going to last. Mm. Is it going to be three months? There's yeah, a lot, you know, of estimates out there, aren't they? But all we know for sure is that no one actually knows for sure. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, you know, but but I guess it's it's about building the strategy around the possibilities and That's trying right. to trying to work out how you deal with each ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and can I ask you a question, Richard? Do you see, firstly, a difference in Australia and the US just generally in terms of SMEs, so small to medium businesses, approaching acquisitions? Is there a difference in Australia versus the US, in, in your opinion? Look, you know, the United States is my home base, and there is more venture capital mm. available in the States than I think is available in Australia. Mm. Mm. And commercial lenders, whether it's the banks or private commercial lenders, want to have hard collateral if you're going to get a commercial loan. And that's it's it's really difficult to get investment without it. Now, having mm. said that, the government has lots of grant programs. And um, I've got a couple of databases that I work off of, but we're talking hundreds and hundreds of grant programs. And, and, and they're pretty transparent and they're not, the government is not in the business of giving away money, but what they're in the business of is economic stimulus. They need a return like any investor on their money. And that mm. return comes in wages and people that generate economic activity that increases tax revenues and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that, and I think Australia is really smart about that. So I would say you know, the private sector and with private lenders, unless you have an hard asset that can be a, a, a security, it's really tough or impossible to get commercial loan. Venture capital is here, but it's not as plentiful as it is in, like, let's say the states, because the state, the economy in the states is 16 times what it is in Australia. Mm. And that's can be difficult, but it's there. But you need to start looking well before you need the investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well look, um that has been a fabulous run through talking about these areas for consideration in growth through acquisition. Um if any of our listeners are interested in making contact with you, um how do they do that? Well, I have a couple um Facebook pages, uh, Richard Osman uh or Rich Osman and uh Provantage. Um I'm on LinkedIn um as well. Um, or they can send an email to richard at provantage.com. Brilliant. Absolutely fabulous. Well, look, um, Richard, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Any parting words that you want to leave our audience with as they're thinking about this area? Well, I would say that they need to talk to you because legal... <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> and I'm the I top... should have you on more often. I love this. I'm not, like... I'm not trying to fluff <laughs> you up, but... But you need to be their first protocol because you're a lot more than just a legal pro. You're also a business advisor. And and they need to have somebody like you um, that knows the laws, knows the in and, ins and outs, and you know all the other aspects of it as well. But Because this is the thing. We don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. And to, um, and to have you be their first protocol really is just 
you know, just makes the process so much easier. Well, Richard, you are fabulous. I promise you, our listeners, I did not pay Richard to say that. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. He didn't. <laughs> oh, I love it. Want, I love it. If you want professional results, you use a professional. You don't do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we all know there are differences. There are professionals and then there are professionals. So it's uh, <laughs> also <laughs> about choosing your deal team, you, you know, and understanding what it is you're looking for, I guess. That's right. Brilliant. Well, look, Richard, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on to the show. Of course, My pleasure. you are running along the beach right now or on your way on your commute to somewhere you might be on the commute now it seems that the roads are heating up then we will put links through to Richard in our show notes so um so you can make contact with him Richard thank you so much my pleasure Well, that's it for today's episode, which is another episode in our Growth Through Acquisition series. And of course, today we talked about the strategic considerations. In particular, we talked about valuations and about knowing the pictures behind the numbers. We talked about risk management, so understanding what can go wrong, how it can go wrong, and what you can do ahead of time to minimize the risks. And we also talked about how the acquisition can leverage your existing business because, of course, that's the point of it all, isn't it? Leveraging your existing business. So that's it. Um, I just want to say, as always, a very big thank you for listening into the episode today. If you'd like more information about this topic You probably know the drill by now, but just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com and there you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you're one of those people who just likes to read these things in detail rather than just listening in. Now, at that website or in the show notes, if you prefer, you'll also find details of how to contact Richard Osman. There you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our legal eagles at aspect legal if you or your clients would like to talk about an an upcoming acquisition or exit we would be only too happy to assist you in talking about the strategy and of course the legal issues that go along with preparing for acquisition or exit or actually getting the transaction done Well, that's it. I just want to say another massive thank you for listening in. You have been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast very proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. 
Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.